0: Hey everybody, I hope you're having a great week, weekend, day, whenever it is that you're listening to this. Uh, So, as promised, this week we are going to be talking about Micah chapter 1. We're going to be looking at specifically, I'm going to scroll down just a little bit, verses 8 through 16. Before we get knee deep into these verses, I did want to share with you guys that after reading and studying this past week, there's a lot going on in these verses in chapter verses eight through sixteen. It's like two thirds of the whole chapter, and so I wanted to take two separate videos to go over these verses because there are two major themes and major ideas going on in the in these verses, and I didn't want one or the other to be lost in. A longer video. I wanted to be able to focus on one concept at a time and that way we have a deeper and better understanding of Micah chapter one as we go throughout the rest of the book and it kind of sets the stage for the rest of this section and for chapter two. So I just wanted to share that with you so you know that this week we are focusing on Still those eight verses, but one specific theme from these verses. And then next week we'll talk about the other theme that I see throughout these verses. So before we talk about these eight verses, I want to go back to the beginning and read all of chapter one together within context so that we kind of get the idea of what we're talking about here. So just like I mentioned in the description last week that this is from BibleGateway.com is what I'm displaying on my screen. I usually use the New International Version or the English Standard Version when I study. The past few weeks, I've been mostly relying on NIVs. So let's go ahead and start reading. So, Chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Listen, earth, and all you who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him, and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards or vineyards. (laughs) I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes. As the wages of prostitutes, they will be used again. And here's the verses that we're going to be focusing on for the next two weeks or next two videos, episodes, whichever. Because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. For Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all, and Beth Orpha, roll in the dust. Now, some of these names, as I read them, probably going to pronounce them incorrectly, so just bear with me. Passed by naked and in shame, you who live in Shafir, those who live in Zanin will not come out. Beth Azel is in mourning, it no longer protects you. Those who live in Mayroth writhe in pain, waiting for relief because disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. You who live in Lachish, harness fast horses to the chariot. You are where the sin of the daughter of Zion began, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore, you will give parting gifts to Morshef Gath. The town of Aksib will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. I will bring a conqueror against you who live in The nobles of Israel will flee to Adullam. Shave your head in mourning for the the children in whom you delight. You make yourself as bald as a vulture, for they will go from you into exile. All right. So the name of this section is called Weeping and Mourning. And depending on your preferred version of scripture, whichever... translation you use, it might have something a little bit different, but these verses really have a focus on weeping and mourning and specifically the weeping and mourning of Micah. So verses eight and nine, let's reread those really quick. It says because of this I will weep and wail I will go about barefoot and naked I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl for Samaria's plague is incurable it has spread to Judah it has reached the very gate of my people even to Jerusalem itself so these verses are describing the passing of the evils from the northern kingdom Israel to the southern kingdom of Judah it has it's been contagious so their their sin did not stop up in the northern kingdom it infiltrated the southern kingdom and Micah in verse 12 he really illustrates that pretty clearly he says not in verse 12 no nine for Samaria's plague is incurable has spread. So he is arguing that the sin of Samaria has spread to Jerusalem and therefore the judgment of the northern kingdom that they have already been attacked by Assyria and taken by Assyria. And those are things we have talked about in previous videos. That is also their fate if they do not repent and turn from their sin and from their wicked ways. So, throughout these verses from 8 through 16, Micah is literally tracing the judgment from the throne of heaven through Samaria to Jerusalem. These eight verses from 8 through 16 make up more than one third of the chapter. And it is literally listing cities that are going to participate in the coming disaster. And he even, if you remember, from verse 1, it tells us that he is from Morsheth. And in these verses, he even mentions his own town. Verse four, 14, therefore I will give parting gift, gifts to Morsheth Gath. And he even says in verse 9, it has reached the very gate of my people, not some other town or referring to other people's people like these are these are his people the people that he interacts with daily so he knows the people and I think as he I would imagine as he is writing this he is imagining and thinking of and praying for and praying on behalf of his friends his family his coworkers, uh, all of the people that he would meet at the market that he would buy his fish from all those things praying for the for them because of their coming judgment and so in these verses he really is making a plight to really appealing to the national leaders to make a difference for those people in his town his people his small town of Morsheth Gath to repent and therefore Avoid this coming judgment. And that all the sins. Sorry. All the people will suffer. Because of the consequences of their sins. And so something that I thought about. When I was reading and studying. That their rulers are not repenting. So all of these people. Just the common people. And Morsheth are in the Who is Micah video, we talked about how he was a small town guy. He was not from an affluent family, even though his contemporaries were Isaiah. All of the people were going to suffer judgment because of the sins of the rulers and how the sins of the people up top trickle down to the sins of everyday people. And so it made me really think about my own life, like who is suffering as a result of my sin and there are plenty of examples in scripture how that show that your individual sin doesn't just affect you and i think that's one of the lies that culture tells you is that if if it's not hurting anybody else then it's not a big deal that's not true it's just not in scripture there are so many examples like just look at abraham and sarah where sarah said hey i'm old i'm not getting pregnant even though the lord promised me that i was going to get pregnant but it's not happening fast enough why don't you deal with do with hagar and that's how we'll get a son and oh well it's not hurting anybody else but it had a huge impact on that whole family and the nation of israel as a whole i could Continue on with several other examples. But just something to think about is that your individual sin, your individual unrepentant sin, where your heart is not changed and you are not grieved by your sin, that does not just affect you. It can have an effect on the people around you and it can have an effect on generations to come. So just... A little something to ponder and to be thinking about and we are seeing that here in Micah that the sins of the rulers are having an effect on everyday people and all it takes is one person turning their heart to the Lord and wanting to do what is right and honor and serve him because he loves us and we love him as a result of his love towards us and all it took was Hezekiah to turn it around and to save the people. So, that was just something that really stood out to me as I was studying. So, we have um, in verse 10, it starts off Micah's sorrow with a reference to 2 Samuel 19, Second Samuel chapter 1 verses 19 and 20, where David is lamenting. The death of Jonathan and Saul. I thought that was really interesting in the Israelite defeat. So, verse 10 Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all, in Beth or Ophrah, roll in the dust. He says something very similar. David does in 2 Samuel, mourning for Jonathan, his closest friend, and the death of Saul. And so it is just showing how intense Micah's mourning is for the cities that he knows and loves and then verse 16 as we move through and we'll talk more about all those cities and all those things in our next video but verse 16 really packs a punch because it says shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight make yourself as bald as the vulture for they will go from you into exile. So, this was really an appeal Micah's appeal to Jerusalem as the father or mother of the outlying villages of Judah. And that shaving your head and rolling in dust, those were common practices in Jewish culture for showing grief and mourning. And so, Micah is painting a picture that the leaders are the father and mother of these outlying villages and they are their children and they are to mourn because the children that they love are going to be taken away into exile and exile to become an exile, to go into exile was to become a slave and to have an entire nation exiled was the death of a nation. So to have all of these people, men, women and children go into exile was the death of a nation. So, Micah whips up his hearer's emotions and pushes them into inconsolable grief in order to dispel their complacency and arouse them in a sense of their own sin and liability to punishment. And that was a little quote from Boyce. And one of the things that really stood out to me, just thinking about the comparison between verses 8 and verse 6, where he's really amping up the emotion and wanting these leaders to realize kind of that they are affecting even the least of these in their cities and in their towns and these people that trust them, they are affecting them. Something that really stood out to me is the comparison between verse 8 and 16. So 8 says, because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. And then in verse 16, when we just read a few moments ago, he is commanding or telling the people to shave their head and to, to grieve what is to come as a result of their sin. So Micah, in these verses, is not asking the people in charge, the leaders, to do something that he himself is not willing to do. He was already kind of leading them in Morning, I will weep and I will wail. I will go about barefoot and naked and howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. He is so grieved by their sins and he wants them to realize how much their sins grieve the heart of God. And he is willing to make things right. And so the question that keeps coming into my mind is am I personally as grieved by my sin as Jesus is? Do we mourn the sins of the culture in such a way that we are willing to live a life of radical obedience to Christ? Am I so... Grieved by my own sin and the sin of the culture around me, that I'm willing to live a life that is so radical and so countercultural that the only explanation can be that I love and serve and follow Jesus? Am I willing to share the gospel even at the re- risk of rejection or even at the risk of my own livelihood or my own life? Am I willing to preach and teach and share and I'm not called to preach, but some of you watching this might be called to preach into ministry. Um, am I willing to do that for years and years, even when I don't see immediate fruit? Like Micah was preaching in verse one, we saw through Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Well, Ahaz was king for 16 years, so he was Prophesying during Jotham's reign, we're not sure how long, but it was more than 16 years before anybody in power started listening to him and taking him seriously. And so, do I have that same kind of leadership quality that Micah does? Do I love God and Jesus that much to be willing to be persistent and to be consistent even when no one's listening or even when it seems like no one is listening? And so that's just really something that has really challenged me to examine how I live my life and kind of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Does what we fill our time with, does it bear fruit? Does it build Christ's kingdom or does it build mine? So where, where is my heart? Is it to build my own kingdom or is it to build Christ? Is it to serve my own agenda or to serve Christ? I think that's something that we really need to spend some time praying about and asking God to make our heart like Micah's. That we are willing to lead the charge, and to weep and wail and mourn our own sin and the sins of our culture, and continue to be consistent and persistent in hopes that verse 16. Will come around that people will listen and that they too will mourn the sins, their sins, and therefore the sins of the culture and be willing to make a radical difference. So I know it's not a not super happy lesson or section of verses, um, but next time we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about all these towns. And all of their names. And the the section of scripture has a lot of puns. But puns are not necessarily used in the same way that they're used in modern English and modern culture. And so I thought this section was really interesting. And so we're going to talk about all of that in greater detail next time. But the question I want to leave you with. And I know I've already said it, but I want to say it again. Are we leading like Micah? Are we grieved by our own sin and the sins of our culture enough to follow Jesus in a radical way and to pray radically and to serve radically and to love radically in hopes that others will come to repentance? So, just a little thought to leave with you today. I hope you have a great rest of your day and rest of your week, and I will see you next time. Bye.